We are starting this morning a, a, um, a brand new series, which is uh, always a, a fun moment. But the, for me, this is one of those, I've never gotten to do this. I, not that I couldn't, but I've, I've not done this. I, I love the book of Ephesians, uh, the letter that Paul is writing to this church in the midst of all the uncertainty that they were facing you know, 2,000 years ago. He's writing his encouragement letter to them, that, helping them understand maybe what it looks like for them to live out uh, their faith in the, in the world and with all the things that, that were happening in their world. And so this, this next few weeks, probably through the month of, uh, through the month of August, we're going to be walking through, uh, through the book of Ephesians. And um, one of the things that, that we see as this, as this story or as this letter kind of unfolds is, um, is the, that Paul is particularly concerned with the way that faith is lived out, with the way that it's not just what people understand about who Jesus is. It's not just that, that, the, that the people of this gathered community, this church in Ephesus, would understand that um, these things are true, but he was primarily interested in helping them understand what it looked like for them to live that out, right? To, to know truth, to have, a, to have an understanding of what's true and what's right, but then to say, so we, we take that and we apply that to the act of living, right? So a year ago-ish, we, we, we ran through it, we worked through a series called, that we called Active Faith where we really said, what does it look like for us to take faith, to apply faith to the act of living? And that plays out in all sorts of ways. It plays out in all sorts of layers to that, but... Um, one of the ways, and maybe made the hardest way that this plays out, is in the area of trust. Right? The, that, that when we talk about applying trust to the act of living, to say, I trust God. And it's not just that I have like, this knowledge of trust, but I actually have applied trust in God to the way that I actually live. Right? This is what Paul's talking about to the church in Ephesus. This is what God is speaking to us today as a people as we seek to live out our faith, to continue to trust him in the midst of, of, of all the layers that are present in our world. That we say to, to have this active kind of faith, this faith that's applied to the act of living, means that we have to learn to trust, which means that we have to learn to trust that God is in charge, right? that, that he is ultimately over all things. And then we have to also understand and, and, and trust that he has a plan for us. That God, the God of the universe, who set all of this into motion, who created this order for, for the way that life is supposed to work, that, that he has a plan for us. And so we learn that this is what trust is, right? We learn the definition of trust. We learn all those kinds of things. But, but the hard part, and this is where the tension exists, and this is what Paul is, he's putting pen to paper, writing to the church in Ephesus, is, is seeming to want to help them understand is that learning to trust is more difficult and requires maybe even a different process than learning about trust. Does that make sense? That learning to trust, the way that God teaches us to trust him, the way that God teaches us to, to operate in that kind of way is, is a radically different way of learning, a radically different approach and much more difficult than learning, just learning about trust. Right? To have this kind of head knowledge about, well, I tr you know, here's what I would understand trust to be, then to actually have to apply that to life, right? to actually trust for us as a people, now we have to learn to not only wrap our heads around what it means to trust, but then to work through and trust our way through the process of learning how to trust. It's, it's this mysterious kind of process, and this is a word that Paul will use throughout this, throughout this letter, and it, and it creates tension, right? Because to learn to trust means that we have to let go of the things that we feel that make us feel secure, that, that, that would not be the things that if we hold on to don't require much of us. And so we have this tension that exists where we, we say, well, do we trust that, that God has this big plan, that, that all things are, 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 are working together? There's this whole process that, that God is doing that, that at the end things work out. Or um, 
do we trust that the steps along the way are also ordered? That, that God also has these small steps that, that he has laid out for us? Do we trust, as we, as we talk about the, the, the big plan, the big saving thing that God is doing for us, and then, and then also trusting the, the small steps along the way? Can we trust, right, in both of those things? But the problem is, the tension is, the, the reality of our lives are that, that we're living this out, not just in this room, right? These kinds of conversations, if it was like, look, I can trust God when we're, when we're worshiping together, when, when he feels so close to us as we, as we spend time as a community worshiping, as we spend time leaning in and listening to his word, as the, the kind of the privilege that we have as we gather together. The tension exists that, all of this, this learning to trust, this learning to trust God for who he is and for what he's doing in our lives happens in, the, in, in, in life, right? It happens in, in all the circumstances that surround us that, that we have to learn this, not in this kind of like sterile environment. We have to learn it in, a, in an environment that requires something of us. We maybe have been, as we've, you talk trust, um, we've been let down before. Maybe its expectations haven't been met or there's something that has come our way that someone had someone or something or some set of circumstances when we thought we had it kind of like all lined up then it didn't work out like we thought. So our trust has been shaken. We've been let down before. Um, Or maybe for some of us, maybe for some of us, the thing that we have to do that is so difficult, the thing that's maybe the one thing we lack in this particular piece of of our journey is this shift that we have to make from living through our circumstances. And what I mean by that is, um, so we look and we say, we just have to get through this next week. We just have to get through this situation. We have to just get through. And so we have this survival mentality where it's like, I just have to hold on long enough to, to get to the other side of this set of circumstances. And then I can trust that, that maybe it's going to be better on, on, on the other side of it. That there's this, this reality that we have sometimes where it's like, I'm just going to hunker down and live through, get through. We have to make a shift from living through to living to something, right? That's us saying that, that God has this big plan, that God is doing this thing that's, that's bigger than any particular circumstance that we find ourselves in, any particular set of kind of like relationships and all those kinds of things that, that we have to learn. It maybe takes a lifetime for us to learn this, to, to, to not just live through moments, to not just live through circumstances or seasons, but to, but to say I'm living to something that I trust that God is doing something. I trust that God has a plan. I trust that, that in the end, all of this will work out. Living through to living to. And that's hard, right? So it's in all of that, with, with all those kinds of realities, with all those kinds of layers that, that Paul now puts pen to paper. He's writing to this church in Ephesus who is experiencing persecution by all, <laughs> by all kind of like measures. This, this particular community that Paul is writing to um, it would be easy for them to say, this is not, you know, surely this is not the plan that God has. This is not what life is supposed to look like. We're experiencing persecution and, and we lack favor in our community and, and following Jesus has, has cost us relationships and, and has maybe even cost us employment, all these kinds of things that have come their way. So here we are, not the first people to try and make sense of this mystery or, or to struggle with the tension. Here's Paul writing to this church, Paul imprisoned, writing to this church that, that's under persecution, is experiencing his lack of favor. And this people, as they're hearing these words, as Paul's writing this, this letter, he's putting this, this down in, in, in writing, he says that, that it would be reasonable for everybody involved to say that surely 
right? Surely this can't be God's plan, right? Surely this is not what God had in mind, that, that maybe we can trust this big plan, but to say that this, that this moment, that this step, that this set of circumstances is, is also God's plan, this, this just can't be. And so Paul is writing in, this, in, the, in this opening, these opening statements of, of the book of Ephesians, or the letter to the Ephesian church, Paul's writing, and it's this one long sentence, kind of like breathlessly written as this run-on sentence that, that just kind of builds and builds and builds. That It's this one long sentence, and it's built on these two big ideas. That as a people who are following Jesus, who are, who are trying to, to, to live their lives in a Godward kind of way, that, that they're connected to God through Christ. Despite all evidence to the contrary, despite all the circumstances that might suggest that, 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 that that's not true, that they are connected to God through Christ, and two, that they're connected to each other as a Christian community through Christ, which means they're not alone, right? Which means that Christ is the glue that binds them together. Christ is the glue that, that, that binds us together. And for Paul, as he's writing and making it clear, he says, as, as this foundational truth becomes the, the foundation that he writes the, the rest of the, the letter to the Ephesian church, he says, there's nothing else that's going to work. Right? The, the glue is Christ. The, the thing that connects us to God is, is Christ. Is, and, and so all of these things are held together in him. And so he writes, starting in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes to this church, that's struggling, to this church who's trying to make sense of, of their circumstances. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. He says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal and, and the promised Holy Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Right? You are part of something. Right? For this people who are looking at their circumstances, for this people who are looking and trying to understand the, kind of like the, the, the dynamics of their lives, that, that maybe all the pieces that they expected in coming to, to this story weren't exactly the way that life was working out. But he says, praise, to be the, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that Paul begins with this, this statement of praising God, that, that he's, he's, he's framing this opening sections of Ephesians with the themes of, of spiritual blessing and of connection with God in Christ. He speaks of this blessing, and he starts by saying that this blessing is in Christ, which is, which is the salvation work that God has done, that through Christ that, that we are saved. It's this, it's this big, redemptive plan. He says we're 
Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now he begins to lay it out that, that it's spiritual, right? So it's, it's not physical or financial. So when you start talking circumstances and all those kinds of things, that, that Paul's saying it's, it's not that. Um, but when, he also, when he's talking spiritual, he, he's also meaning something maybe even bigger than just that, that inner stuff too. That it's not just, well, the, the, the blessings are spiritual, so they're, they're not tangible. The blessings are spiritual, so it's, it's harder to understand what, what's going on. We just have to trust that those, those blessings exist. That when he says spiritual, what he's also talking about is that this, this Holy Spirit who has been given to us to guide us, to lead the way, to, to help us follow after Jesus, to guide us on this better path. Right? That the blessing is spiritual, which is describing the steps along the way. So we have the big plan, the big salvation plan in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who continues to lead us, the, the step-by-step-by-step journey. And then that this blessing is in the heavenly realms, which, which means that it's about more than circumstances, about more than, than present circumstances. That the, the things that God has done, the way that God is working, who God is, and, and what he thinks about us, and how he cares for us, and, and what he's doing for us, is not impacted by our circumstances. Right? That, that our present circumstances do not impact who God is. That our present circumstances don't impact the promise that has been made. But what takes place in our world, what takes place in our world can't change what's going on here because it's eternal. But what's going on there can impact what's going on here. Right? So that's the, the, the foundation, first of all, as Paul's talking to a people who are trying to make sense of circumstances. He says, look, this is more durable than you expect. Right? This is bigger than you think, that, that sometimes we can't see past our circumstances. We can't see past the, kind of like the, the context in which we're trying to live out our faith. Paul says, just lift your eyes just a little bit. Trust that, that there's more to the story. There's more happening. He says, for he chose us, verse four, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, that God's design for us, that God's design and intent for us was to be holy and blameless, that it's not, it's not something that just is what we want, but it's what God wants. It's, it's what he wanted and what he still wants. It's what he wants so badly that he went to extraordinary lengths to make a way for us, right? In the person of Jesus Christ, because God wants us to be in right relationship with him, because God wants us to be recreated in this kind of way that he sent his son for us in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has, given free, or has freely given us in the one he loves. We're talking adoption, right? That's a specific kind of relationship with a family, right? That's a, a specific kind of thing because it's, it's not slavery. It's not that, that somehow that, that, that we've been kind of like taken hold of or bought but, but, are, but are treated as slaves. It's, it's not employment in the sense that, that we do for God so that we get back from God, that there's this transactional relationship that we have with him. It's, it's not slavery. It's not employment. It's not hopeless debt, Right, that we have no chance of ever paying back, that there's some sort of expectation that we would repay God for what he has done, but we, just, we have no way to make this happen. And so we, we end up in this hopeless debtor kind of situation. But Paul says we are adopted, that we are brought into the family, that we're part of the family. In love, we have been brought into the family. He says in him, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us to speak of redemption, to speak of forgiveness. Redemption meaning the restoration of value. 
You don't, you don't redeem something that does not have original value. You, you redeem something that, that has value to begin with. You're restoring the, the value that was. So it's the restoration of value, and then forgiveness is the restoration of relationship with God. That we can be, that we can be restored in value with, with the, the who we are, and then we can be restored in that relationship that we have with God. That, that this relationship is, is purposeful, that the forgiveness that has been given us is purposeful. That there is this redemptive clarity that Paul is giving in this moment, that, that there is a right and a wrong way, but it's not a mystery, and it's, it's possible to get it right. He says that it was lavished on you, it was lavished on us, that it was poured out on us to, to say that if you had any questions of your worthiness, if you had any question of, of what you're worth, then, then, then you, you have to look at yourself and say, this is, this is who I am, one that, that, that redemption and forgiveness has been lavished on me, that I'm worth it, that, that God doesn't, doesn't hold back in pouring out his grace. And then Paul continues, and remember, this is all just one sentence. As he's, as he's writing to this church, he says, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That there is this mystery. There is this plan that's being worked out, that, that there is this, this big plan, this, this, this redemptive, salvific plan that, that God is working, that there's this big plan, and then there's the steps of the journey, the, the pieces that hold it all together. That what Paul's talking about is really a military term where there's this, there's this plan for the battle, there's a plan for the fight. And in that is, is the, the way that that's going to work best is if it's kept secret until just the right moment. So only the right leaders, only the certain people know what's happening. The, the person who needs to know knows because if, if the plan was, was leaked, then it would be devastating. So what Paul is talking about is this term that just at the right moment, at just the right point in the battle, at just the right moment, that, that, that the one who's leading the army unveils the actual plan. He says, and that's what Jesus was. This was the game-changing secret weapon that changed everything that would come after. That this is, this is the mystery that's been playing out to, to bring unity to all things in this world that's bent on division, right? It was bent on division 2,000 years ago, and you look around and you read the news, it's bent on division now. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, which means that as a people... As a people, we live under this banner of Jesus is Lord. We say that, that if all things are brought under him, then, then all parts of our lives are brought under him too. And so we look and we say, so what does it look like for God to be, for, for Jesus to be Lord over not just like my salvation story, but to be, to be Lord over the way I approach my work, to be Lord over the relationships that I have, to be Lord over the, the resources that he's placed in my hands. That Jesus is Lord, which means that he's enthroned there and that he's enthroned here in and through our lives. And then Paul continues, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, speaking to a people who maybe feel left out, right? Who feel, who feel left out, who feel hurt, who feel alone. He says, we are chosen. Right? We're not just an accident. We're not just this, this people that God doesn't care about and he's trying to figure out some kind of game plan to deal with. But this is, this is a purposeful, gathered-together group of people. You are not left out, hurt. You're not, you're not alone. And then verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You're included in, this, in, the, in the invitation, but you need to still respond. 
So Paul says, so when you believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. When you believed, right, when you responded to truth that was presented to you, that, that, that you have heard and then you responded in a particular way that you have believed, that when you did that, that you were then marked, you were set apart. And so we're called to be this kind of people, right? That, that we can hear the words of Paul echoing across 2,000 years and we can look at our own world and all some of the same kinds of dynamics and the same kind of like human realities that, that play out. And in this passage, there are these statements and we've got the kind of like double, double length sermon notes because we're doing some fill in the blank here. There's eight statements that, that Paul makes about in Christ. And it starts in verse three with in Christ we are blessed. Right? As we look to, to say, what does this look like for us to apply this to our lives, to, to take all of this and apply this to, to our lives, to apply this to the act of living in our own lives, that in Christ we are blessed, which means that with Christ that there are spiritual blessings. Right? We're, we're blessed, first of all, with Christ, with, with salvation. We're blessed with these spiritual blessings that, that guide us along the way, the Holy Spirit as a blessing for us. And in the heavenly realms, that is more than just our immediate circumstances, more than just the tangible context, more than, than just what's happening right in front of us, that there's, that there's a bigger story, that God is working his blessing in, in ways that maybe we can't even imagine because we're looking just at the things that are right in front of us. And so for us to look and for us to remind ourselves to, 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 to get this picture right, for us to, to maybe write these statements down and, and to, to make this an act of, of devotion over the course of this week, to, to reflect on these, to maybe start our day with saying, in Christ, not just we, but I am blessed. I'm blessed with Christ himself. I'm blessed with the Holy Spirit who's, who's, who's leading me in this journey. I'm, I'm blessed with, with not just the immediate circumstances, but with the eternal things, these, these things that are bigger than what's right in front of me that in Christ we're blessed. In Christ we are chosen. In Christ we are chosen to be holy, to be blameless in God's sight. For some of us, we can't even imagine that, right? We look at ourselves, we look in the mirror, we look at our lives, and we're so aware of the brokenness. We're so aware of the things that we haven't gotten right. We're so aware of, of all the things that would make us feel unworthy to be in relationship with him those things that that voice that starts to whisper when we start to try and move forward spiritually that says, here's why you don't measure up. Here's why God might not want to have anything to do with you. For us to say, in Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, that, that, that God is doing this work to make us holy and blameless in his sight. Even if we can't imagine it, even if we don't believe it, it's still true. In Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, we're adopted. Right? That we're brought into the family that we're part of the family, that, that, that in love we're brought in as, as sons and daughters. We're not purchased as slaves. Right? Maybe for some of us, our spiritual lives have looked like that's the, the, the lens that we're looking at, all the things that, the, the ways that we relate to God. Maybe for some of us, we've, we've looked maybe as like we're, we're paid as employees, where it's this transaction that we have with God, where it's like, okay, God, if you bless me, or if I do this, will you bless me? And we start to have these negotiations. We start to, to try and work out this transactional kind of relationship with God that, that we're not bought as slaves, we're not paid as employees, we're not treated as debtors, that we're adopted into the family, right? Because, because a slave or employees or debtors, those are all ways that the good news becomes bad news for us because it's, it's like this gift that has been given, but there's strings attached. It's, it's like a relationship that we have with someone, but, but we have to keep earning it over and over and over again. 
God says, I'm not like that. This relationship isn't worked in that way. That, that the, the, the way this works is, is you are adopted as a son and daughter. You can, you can have confidence in the relationship. In Christ, in Christ, we have redemption and forgiveness. In Christ, you have, a de- have redemption and forgiveness, which means that you are, you are worth it, that you're worthy, that there's this, this restoration of our original value, that God created, and he created the world, and he says good, and he created humanity, he said it's very good. And so he looks at you, and as he's, as he's in Christ provided for our redemption, that, that we've been restored to our original value. And in Christ, we have forgiveness, which means that we have the restoration of our original relationship with God that we can be in confident relationship with him, that, that we don't have to hide our eyes, that we don't have to, to somehow try and hide certain things in our lives because God might not want to, to, to deal with us if those things are present. But we can trust that with, when there's redemption and when there's forgiveness, that we can trust him with those things that, that shouldn't be there because we can have the confidence in the relationship that we have with God. Maybe for some of us, that's the, the statement that we need to reflect on, that we need to allow God to, to speak into our lives. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's this next one, that in Christ, we are united. Right? In Christ, we are united, that, that the, all things in heaven and on earth are brought together in him. That we're in a season in the world where there's lots and lots of opinions on things. Right? Where, where we seem to think that if we have a differing opinion, that that means, that means we're supposed to be at war with each other. That in Christ, we're supposed to operate differently. In Christ, that, that we get to operate differently. We, we have a privilege of operating not as this divided kind of people, but we get to operate in a unified kind of way that all things in heaven and on earth, that, that Christian community is, is a glimpse. So here we are as a people wrestling with the, 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 the COVID outbreak and all those kinds of things, and we have all sorts of things that are coming our way and all sorts of, of information and misinformation and all sorts of questions and, and all those things that that we can look and we can see all of this and we can take a step back and say, we have a privilege. We have the privilege of operating differently. Right? We have a privilege of, 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 of sitting in a different kind of way in the midst of all of these kinds of things, that Christian community is a glimpse of the unity, but it's just a glimpse because God says, I'm going to bring all things together, all things together in Christ. In Christ, we have hope. Right? In Christ, we have hope that, that God has this will, that God has this, this purpose that's revealed in Christ, that, that the promise has been kept, that there has been a way made for us. That it's not our hope is anchored in what we do. Our hope isn't anchored in what we do to try and like balance the scales in our favor when we stand before God. But we have hope in Christ because God wants to save us, because God wants to restore that relationship, because God wants to, to draw us to himself and, and make, make us better than, than what we are now. And it's revealed in Christ, the promise kept, a way made. In Christ, number seven, in Christ we're included in the good news. Right? In Christ we're included in the good news. Right? These are statements that if, if we would reflect on this, these, if we would make these a, a regular rhythm where it's like, this is who I am. So we're talking identity. In Christ we're included in the good news, which is the gospel of our salvation, which is an opportunity to, to be saved and to change direction. The simple process here and respond, plays out as we then seek to follow after him as a disciple as well, that we, that we would hear God speak and then we would respond to what he's asking us to do. In Christ, we're included. In Christ, we're included in the good news, even when we maybe feel like because of certain things that have happened to us or certain circumstances or certain parts of the journey that, that we're having a hard time letting go of, that we're included. 
that we're included, just like the Ephesian church trying to sort out their, their relationship within the larger, the larger, the larger story, that, that we are included. And that number eight, in Christ, we are marked for an inheritance. In Christ, we are marked for an inheritance. The, the deposit is the Holy Spirit that, that, that leads us, that, that, that moves us closer and closer to what God is calling us to, that he's our guide on the journey. Because we're invited not just to be saved, but we're invited to a way of living, to, to operate in a different kind of way. We're invited on a journey that, that in Christ, that, that we have this opportunity to see ourselves differently. That it starts with us maybe understanding our identity in him. And then we look and we see the world differently because Christ is at work in us. Because we've, we've gotten the identity piece figured out that we can look and we can look at this list of these, these statements that Paul makes about who we are in Christ. That we can look and we can say, well, if that's true, and whatever self-talk, whatever whispers are coming my way, whatever else that, that's causing me to doubt who I am and, 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 and that relationship that I have with God, if we can settle that, then we can go and we can love with a sense of abandon, that we can look at the world around us and say, so, so what does this look like lived out? That it gives us a new way of seeing ourselves, a, a new way of seeing the world. And it gives us a new way of living where we take the journey, right? We take all the pieces, we take our circumstances, we take... We take our sense of our identity. We take all of that and we place it before the God who loves us so much that he sent his son to make a way for us. We take all of these things and we, and we say, can I trust him? If this is who I am in him, if we can get the identity piece, if we can get the, the what we believe about Jesus piece figured out, then we can look and say, so why would I, why would I hold on to things that are incompatible with who I am in Christ? This is an opportunity for us to, to trust, right? The, to, 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 to know about trust versus actually trusting. So I'm going to trust. I'm going to live this life of faith that helps me see who I am in Christ. Let me see, lets me see the world and, and, who, and, and what the world is through him. To see the way of living differently. To understand what it looks like to live under the banner that Jesus is Lord which means we see ourselves differently, which means we see the world differently, which means we see even the act of trust differently. So this morning, maybe we look at those things that we're holding on to because we're not sure we can trust God with them or these, these decisions that are in front of us or these, these moments in the journey that are in front of us. And we look and we say, if this is all true, right, because this is all true, then I can trust God right, with the big story and with the steps along the way. And we can begin to let go of the things that we're holding on to because we're not sure we can trust.